1: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
2: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from Queens, the borough of Queens in the city of New York. This is the 14th day of September 2021. I do like to remind you I am the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can sign up for that by going to miningstocks.com. uh, ChenPix.com is the place to go to pick up on Chen Lin's excellent letter. Focus is on biotechs and the mining shares as well as sometimes the energy shares. Uh, And then there's Michael Oliver who's with us today. It's OliverMSA.com for his excellent letter, um, the uh, momentum and structure analysis letter that is very unique. It is one of a kind and it has been very, very good for us and for me in particular as I try to Hold steady with my investments and not get whipped in and out by the emotions of markets. But uh, Michael has really been very helpful to us, and I'm glad to say he'll be with me in just a couple of minutes from now. And of course, I want to thank all of you for sending along your questions, uh, for listening to this show, and uh, for sending along your thoughts and questions to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions at number four, Taylor. At gmail.com and our sponsors for this week that make this show possible Novo Resources, Zillow Resources, Hannon Metals, Labrador Gold Corp, Lion One Metals, SK Mining Corp, and Firefox Gold. I've titled today's show, Crestcat's Macroeconomic Case for Gold. Michael Oliver, as I said, is with us. Quentin Henning will return and he'll be with me in the second se- uh, segment. And then Kevin Smith and Octavio Tavi Costa visit for the first time there with Crestcat Capital. At a time in Western culture when individuals are told to stop thinking and simply follow orders, Kevin and Tavi have demonstrated that if you want to avoid following the lemons into the sea, using your God-given intelligence can allow you to rise far above the norm. Starting with Kevin and his wife Linda in 1992, the legacy of a highly profitable Crestcat Capital began. In 2013, Tavi Costa, it's another individual thinker, joined Crescat where he has built the company's macroeconomic model. Kevin and Tavi will explain the company's investment philosophy and why their macroeconomic model demands investing in gold exploration companies, uh, and they'll be with us during the second half of today's show. Not surprisingly, the independent thinking of Crescat's team was attracted to the skills of another exceptionally talented most uh, out-of-the-box thinking geology, perhaps, that I know of anyway, Dr. Quentin Henning. Although he had been advising Crestcat regarding their investments in mineral exploration companies, Quentin recently joined Crestcat in a formal position as technical advisor. Those of you who listen to this show on a regular basis know that I have an extremely high regard for Dr. Henning, not only for his geological insights and his ability to explain geology to lay folks, to help them understand what might otherwise seem ununderstandable. But I also have a very high regard for his integrity. So I believe the addition of Dr. Henning to Crestcat's team are a good reason for Crestcat's gains in their precious metals hedge fund of 235% from August 1st of 2020 to July 31st of this year. And that took place despite a pretty weak gold share market of the last number of months. So congratulations, and we will be learning more from both, uh, well, from uh, from Kevin Smith and, and Tavi Costa in the second half of today's show. Quinton will be with me as well today during the second segment to talk about SK Mining and that's a really exciting story. Um, a project that looks to be the spitting image of the SK Creek Mine, which is one of Canada's wealthiest, uh, highest grade mines ever. Uh, so we'll look forward to hearing from Quinton right after our first commercial break, but right now I'm really happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is with us again. Thanks for joining me, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. Always good to have you. You know, I'm just thinking about it. This is a complete Colorado day. You live in Colorado, Dr. Henning lives right. in Colorado, and and our friends from Crestcat live in Colorado. So I guess this is, we should have called this uh, a day for Colorado or something like that. But right. in any event... <laughs> It's uh, it's it's a state that is uh, I, heard, I saw just recently uh, a state that's considered to be the second most popular state to retire in so, after Florida. So I thought that was interesting. Anyway, getting to your uh, to the topic at hand here, in your weekend missive, actually in the gold, silver, and mining letter, as well as your 360, that's 360 degree weekend report, both of those were titled, were headed with the title stock market and gold. Now, I can't remember you using the same title for both letters in the past any time, so are you saying that you think we may be very close to a transition? Because you've been talking about this transition in asset classes away from equities mm-hmm. towards gold mm-hmm. and, and treasuries for some time. Do you think, you think this is starting to happen now?
3: Yeah, I think so. Um- the, um, if you look at a, like an S and P chart, for example, just, uh, forget the momentum aspects is what we look at. But even if you just look at a price chart of the S and P, over the last several months, its rise has been what we call a zombie walk. It's just like a sleepwalking. It, it, mm-hmm. It's so incremental that it's almost not real. It doesn't even mm-hmm. look like an S and P chart anymore. You know, with some ups and downs and that kind of thing. It's just like right. there's, there's no downs at all. But there's also the upside is is measured in you know. and Uh you know, in one bad day, you could wipe out three months of uh, sleepwalking. Um, Mm -hmm. We're attempting to do that right now, but uh, so that the slowness in the advance indicates, yeah, the buyers are still winning, but somebody's distributing Mm -hmm. consistently, and um, we see it more particularly in the leadership of the market, and that still is Nasdaq 100 and Microsoft, Amazon, and Apple, uh, which we're highly focused on. Uh, we think the, the intermediate trend is down. We think it's turned down. Intermediate, meaning the kind of thing that could, you know, it's a trading type situation, not for a few days, but probably for a few weeks, maybe a month or two. But the problem is, if you get an intermediate trend decline that goes, you know, several more percent lower, you're going to start to engage or break longer term momentum trend factors. Uh-huh. In which case, uh, you might wave bye- goodbye to the top. Now, we're not looking for a March event like last year, you know, where everybody's pulling their hair out and margin calls and they're selling anything and everything. We're looking for a a typical top, uh, which is the norm is that you you have a fighting situation. Go back and look at the 2000 top. Go back and look at the 2007 top, and you won't see a collapse. You'll see an arm wrestling match, which Mm -hmm. ultimately goes lower. That's what we think we're headed for. But I think there's a lot of asset managers who appreciate that, that notion and are starting, have been starting to move assets out of stocks, which they perceive to be higher risk, less reward now, after what's gone on for the last dozen years, and moving it into T-bonds just for safety, not because it's for yield, certainly. No, oh. But it's, you know, it's like cash. Move it over to cash. Well, they'll buy T-bonds 10 years, 30 years, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're buying gold. Now, if you go back and look at T-bonds, I don't think ultimately that, that relationship will hold up. I think T-bonds will ultimately turn down, yields will go up again. But for now, there's still an alternative to the stock market. Therefore, when you start to see bonds firm, it means somebody's buying them and probably exiting stocks at the same time. But notice when bonds made their low back in March. When did gold mm-hmm. make it slow back in March? Uh-huh. So there's a coincidence there. Mm-hmm. Uh, admittedly, gold probed back down toward that low uh, in early August with that panic selling in the dark. But it mm-hmm. that lasted a few minutes, actually. <laughs> it was a few-minute yeah. phenomenon. Uh, and gold is now, you know, 1805 today. So that low in March was 1673. But anyway, so the fact that bonds in gold are firming, even if irregularly, to the point where people don't quite get the sense that they're firming. That uh, I means money's moving into them and moving out of, I think, stocks. And I think now you're starting to see breakage in stocks that indicates that it's not just slowing the advance in stocks, the selling, but it's actually starting to break them down. Uh, we've got specific numbers, uh, and we're focused on what we think we need to focus on, which mm-hmm. is to say the leadership. And by leadership, I mean the symbols that constitute, you know. 20%, 30% of the major indexes, and, and mm-hmm. the three I just mentioned are, are three of them. You could add Google and Facebook. Uh, sure. When you have weightings like these symbols have that are so heavy, you can take 100 other stocks and they don't even balance Apple or Amazon or Microsoft uh-huh. well, in terms of the weighting within the index. So we think if they break, and we think they're now in the intermediate downtrend, we've got levels not far below that they'll break annual momentum uptrends. Mm. They mm. go back a dozen years, which wow. means we're in a bear market at that point. Mm-hmm. And I think at that point, that's when gold and T-bonds will get even more oomph on the upside. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got some numbers on gold and silver mm-hmm. um, that we adjust down each week or each quarter, depending on mm-hmm. which metric we're using, that say, okay, we're coming out of here. We're mm-hmm. uh, coming out of here. I mean coming out of this clump of ink that we've seen for the last 13 months. Uh, where gold was, you know, 2,000 down to below 1,700, and now it's sort of in the middle of that. Silver's between, uh, like, 30 and 22, and now it's sort of in the middle of that. Uh, that. That there are levels that will break out upside that will indicate we're going through the top of those zones. And it won't require price getting back up near the top of those zones. It'll require mm-hmm. very little. In fact, mm-hmm. I'd say uh, just throw out a number, uh, you get up in the upper 25s again on silver. Mm-hmm. like a buck or so above this week's high, uh, it's coming out of here. Mm-hmm. In the case of gold uh, for the rest of this quarter, that means only the next two weeks, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. 1865 will do the job, but you get into wow. the next quarter, and you see gold up in the 1830s again. Mm-hmm. If you look at a price chart, we've been pushing up into that zone repeatedly in the last few months. You go mm-hmm. back up there one more time, and it happens to be in the fourth quarter, you're coming out of here upside. Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh yeah. anyway we're we're on edge here for that upside breakout which we think is pending and the question is is it gonna occur before next quarter or are we gonna fumble around here and, and work our way to it
2: in October, in, which is in the four, yeah, fourth quarter. Yeah, so yeah. just with a minute yeah. left here, Michael, how's silver looking to you now?
3: I, I still like silver over gold and I like what silver's been doing. Uh, unlike gold, silver never took out. You know, gold made a low back in November in the mm-hmm. 1700s, and then blew it out in March. Silver mm-hmm. never did that. Silver made its first pullback low in September of last year, six weeks mm-hmm. after the high. It had been up to 30 almost and dropped to 2,190-something, six mm-hmm. weeks after the high. You've never wow. come back and taken out that low. <laughs> You've been mm-hmm. between that high and that low ever since. Mm-hmm. Right now we're, you know, 24-something. So uh, it's... It's a confusing price-looking situation because you, when you look at the price chart, you think, well, gee, silver's got to go up to 30 again before it breaks out. No, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. think at upper 25, will do the job. All
2: right. Silver, uh, bigger on the upside and... Uh,
3: bigger on the uh, upside percent-wise than gold, yes. And
2: bigger and on the downside, also the sense.
3: miners, which everybody is so yeah. frustrated by...
2: Yes, uh, they sure will, are.
3: They will, they'll suddenly become stronger than gold.
2: Mm-hmm. They'll lead gold up, you think?
3: I think once you... Get gold and silver through our numbers, that the miners will suddenly engage in a way that percent wise will drop yours. Uh, mm-hmm. They'll regain leadership again quickly. Well, yesterday was a good example. Silver was down a bit, gold up a bit, and the miners are up uh, 3 or so percent.
2: Yeah, no, that's true. The major miners, yeah. 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 Very good. Well, 30 seconds left. Just a real quick one on, on uranium. I mean, are you. Uranium is breaking out. I mean, it has broken out, yeah, right? Do you, it, see a, you see,
3: We've been bullish for a couple of years, and we've crossed over some major numbers. I think you're going to go above 44, which is a price high it made several years ago. Uh, uh-huh. Not the highest high, but, it, it, but a prominent price high. I don't think it's going to stop until you blow that out. But uh-huh. I'll tell you what I like the most. It's natural uh-huh. gas. Really? Like natural gas, which is uh, – we had multiple breakouts on it and our final win was around 440 it's now 530 we think it's going to 9 dollars and probably quickly mm. well
2: i uh, guess and if it, you, and you, we yeah. think it's going to
3: occur during the winter here which of course makes oh, sense boy. Uh-huh. but that is not good news for no. uh, folks for to inf- get a doubling in their heating bill
2: yeah inflation is uh, on the rise no doubt about that yeah, and that and can't this, be this, good uh, that this can't is be not good monetary for
3: the- policy this is government Energy policy. Uh,
2: absolutely, absolutely, this. yeah, absolutely. I guess maybe, uh, maybe, real deep down inside, AOC is bullish on natural gas, and she wants to make a lot of money. Yeah. Maybe, maybe she's long gas, natural gas. She Who probably knows? Probably
3: is. Huh?
2: Yeah. Okay. You know, let's let's stay away from politics. It's so ridiculous, so nonsensical. So, let's just stick to the numbers, and that's what you do with your momentum and structure analysis, Michael. Thank you so much for being with us. Again, it's thank always you, a pleasure to have you. Alrighty folks, so okay. we do have to go to break, but don't go away. Dr. Quentin Henning will be with us to talk about SK uh, SK mining. It's a really exciting story, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Quentin Henning.
4: Firefox Gold is actively exploring in Finland, where recent discoveries have sparked a new gold rush. Firefox controls a major portion of a prospective gold belt, giving the company a distinct advantage for exploration and strategic partnerships. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, will put Firefox on the crest of the coming wave of gold discoveries. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX. Go to FirefoxGold.com to subscribe for updates.
5: SK Mining Corp., trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQB, is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, funding in place, and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to tell you that Dr. Quentin Henning is back with us once again. Uh, this time, he's going to talk to us and give us an update on SK Mining Corp. Trades uh, in Toronto under ESK. In the United States, you can buy it under ESKYF. 162.5 million shares, and when I checked on it earlier today, around 2 o'clock, it was trading in U.S. money at dollar 65. Uh, this is a company that I think you want to keep your eyes on. Uh, it's one that I believe could, be, uh, could provide spectacular, uh, spectacular outcome um, based on what we know so far and, well, based on what I think I know so far. But we're really glad to have Quentin with us again uh, to give us an update. Thanks for joining me, Quentin. Absolutely, Jay. Good to speak. It's really good to have you. And uh, also, for those that might not be familiar with this project, it is uh, what is known as a BMS deposits, volcanic massive sulfides, uh, deposits that are created on the, as you've explained many times, created on the ocean floor and then sometimes uh, due to tectonic action they are thrust up into the, uh, into the mountains as is the case with SK's uh, project, SK Mining's project, uh, in just south of the wonderful, really, I guess one of the richest mines in Canadian history, the SK Creek Mine, so what can you tell us now about the, you've had a very, very favorable, I mean, almost spectacular first season drill program there last year. Uh, I'm looking at, I think, one of the headline numbers from the assays that were, re- that were released in February of this year, 35.5 meters of 9.5 grams of gold and another 70 grams per ton of silver. Uh, what have you learned from last year's drill program and subsequent work that you've been doing on the ground Uh, and perhaps what have you learned from this year's, not from the assays yet, but you've done a lot of drilling. I think you said something like two-thirds of the drill program now, uh, 20,000 meters or so. So can you give us anything new, anything we might learn today from what you know so far?
0: Certainly. Look, uh, we put out an update a couple weeks ago, but I can give a little bit further update here. Uh, We are about two-thirds of the, the way through the current drill program. We've Targeted a minimum of 30,000 meters. Uh, we'll probably end up doing a bit more than that, probably closer to 35,000 meters by the end of the season. Uh, the, the crews are uh, doing very well. we got four rigs operating. And uh, the, the, you know, the team is basically swimming in, in core at this point. They have got uh, just absolutely oodles and oodles of core uh, piled up. Uh, the program will last until about the, the third week in October. That's usually when the weather uh, turns decidedly south. But, uh, you know, it, it varies from year to year. It might go a little longer. Who knows? Uh, it is going exceptionally well. The, the drilling at TV and Jeff uh, are, are nearing completion, basically, and, and now the drills are uh, testing other targets. We've been testing uh, the area to the south, which, what's called C10, And they've identified uh, some new sulfide occurrences in that area in outcrop. Last year we talked about one, which was called Spearhead, but the the team is recognizing further sulfide targets down there. So uh, being light on their feet, uh, they're going to try testing a few of these with the the drill bit, uh, which is very exciting. So we've got quite a, a robust program going now at C10. And then the other drills are going to work on testing some of these uh, sulfide targets, what we perceive as sulfide targets peripheral to the TV Jeff area. Hmm. We got a number n- number of them identified. Uh, we'll, these are basically going to be wildcat holes from here on out testing new areas. Uh, but that's also quite exciting. I guess uh, to summarize what I would say, what we're seeing right now, is actually a remarkable, uh, you know, clear, c- concrete evidence that this is all VMS related. Uh, we, we see the mineralization of TV, Jeff, being very, very similar to that seen at SK Creek. we put out some uh, pictures here recently of core that we've been seeing. Yes, it's not an assayed yet. It's going to take a little patience to get, to, get the assays back, but um, – the, the visuals on it are are remarkably similar to what was seen at SK Creek, the old SK Creek mine, and now Skeena's uh, project. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're seeing that all the way down to C10, which is remarkable. So there's, you know, I'd say concrete evidence now that uh, the VMS systems continue in that direction. Also exciting, uh, up in the northeast part of the property uh, where we, we did our stream sediment sampling last year and identified a very robust anomaly. Uh, we followed up on the area that was highlighted by the Sky Tim. This was an area that really lit up as being a, a conductive feature, uh, likely associated with either mudstones or sulfides, and we determined that, that is, it does appear to be uh, uh, sulfide-related. It also appears to be in the right strat stratigraphy. Graphic position mm-hmm. uh, to the SK Creek deposit and everything else we're seeing down at TV Jeff so it's just uh, it's phenomenal to see uh, a property-wide uh, picture of mm-hmm. multiple VMS systems emerge through this work uh, it's going to take a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of patience to get all the assays back you know 35,000 meters of core is no small mm-hmm. undertaking. Uh, but uh, I think I think at the end of this, we're going to see some very, very, very promising uh, results, similar to those that were seen last year.
2: Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, th- I guess through the winter, uh, December, January, February, something like that, we might start to see some some things come back. And uh, but I think it's important that people, you know, I mean, I'm looking at a map of your property right now. TV and Jeff are a little ways apart, and I, as I recall in the past, you've uh, you know, you thought that might be one, uh, one occurrence, one one uh, single system. Is that still in the, your thinking, possibly? That,
0: that's correct. Some of this drilling that I just mentioned—that uh, is, we'll call it wildcat drilling—is mm-hmm. testing those peripheral sulfide targets that, that likely bridge or link the two, two systems together. I think at this point, uh, John and, and the team there feel confident that they can see stratigraphic uh, similarity or connection between the two systems, which is really encouraging. Uh, One of the other things uh, that was found recently, we talked about in the the most recent news release, is that they're seeing mineralization upsection at both TV and Jeff. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've talked about this before where, you know, TV and Jeff were in a position, a stratigraphic position, somewhat lower than uh, the classic S.K. Creek deposit, mm-hmm. but it's, mm-hmm. it's more typical of what Skina calls their lower and even lower mudstones. All right, so we're kind of down in that realm right now, but they've been working their way up section at both TV and Jeff, and uh, they found what appears to be probably the contact mudstone or something of that elk uh, a bit higher up. Mm. And some of the more recent work on the on the ground as far as, traverses tra- traverses across that area, as mm-hmm. well as some of the recent drilling show that the VMS systems continue up section. So uh, to answer your question, yes, we're going to have uh, enough drilling here soon to say how these systems connect with one another, as well as what lies above both of them.
2: And then the distance between TV and Jeff on the north uh, and C10, I mean, it's not to say those are connected necessarily, but as you pointed out, these VMS deposits generally come in clusters, so you could see, you could see, one system or or several systems. I suppose more likely, right? Possibly.
0: That that's correct. You, in the VMS camp, what you usually see is there there are discrete uh, horizons. And you know, think about the seafloor. When these things are coming out, they need a period of quiescence uh-huh. in, on the seafloor bottom so the sulfides can accumulate. And what you're really looking for when you're exploring VMS systems are those periods of quiescence in the sedimentary section. And what we see is that there are indeed multiple uh, horizons. There's probably certainly two now and perhaps even three uh, discrete horizons that we can explore VMS. And, you know, it's absolutely uh, crystal clear that uh, these VMS were occurring or erupting at the same time t- as one another, too. Like y- you can see uh, stratigraphic similarities between, like I said, TB and Jeff.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, one more thing before I let you go. Um, this was a, an announcement last year when SK acquired a 19.5% interest in Garibaldi mining. I don't think it's something that most people paid too much attention to. But I've always kind of wondered about that. Is there anything? You can tell us about that now or is it it's just too early to comment on that
0: uh, look the the Western anticline uh, we, we've talked about the structural thesis behind the SK area and why we think there is potential on Garibaldi ground uh, for this style of mineralization and our, our you know interest that we acquired uh, through the transaction with Eric Sprott is mainly so that we have exposure to that uh, but okay. we have not pursued that further. We just know that, hey, that's some very prospective ground on the Garibaldi side.
2: Yeah. Well, indeed, you, ser- <laughs> you certainly have your uh, your platter full with what you already have. So I, I just, just had to ask if there was anything new about that. Anything else you'd like to add? And how well funded is the company now? Uh, look, the company has
0: uh, the money it needs for this current program. Uh, it uh, is is you know, quickly drilling away. I'd say by October 16th to the 30th, somewhere in that window is probably when we're going to shut things down. The crew is going to have to to literally catch up with a huge backlog of core and logging. But you know, we're going to be patient. I I think the company will have some news uh, in terms of update here very shortly. And uh, given that Thomas Monaki was up recently, I'm going to mm-hmm. get some get a download of what he thinks is going on when he gets back to Colorado here and uh, hopefully get some, uh, get some exciting stories out to the market here.
2: Well, that'd be nice. Uh, we're certainly looking forward to it. But patience is required in this sector. That's for sure, especially these days when you have to wait so long to get your assays back. But uh, yeah, patience can be richly rewarded, especially if you're, if you're sticking with good projects, no doubt about that. So, Quentin, thank you so much for thank spending you. time with us again. Always great to have you. Thank you. All right, folks, so we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because when we come back, Kevin Smith and Tavi Costa of Crescat Capital will be with us for the first time. It's a company that Quentin Henning has just recently joined and will join formally. He's been advising them technically for some time. But, you know, this this company has done extremely well. They've had over, over the long term, they've done very well. But with their precious metals uh, hedge fund, they've gained 235% over the last over 12 months ending july 31st and um and that was despite a uh, several months here now of, of pretty weak markets for the gold sector so this is a company i think you really want to pay some attention to a lot of great information on their website and uh, some of which quentin henning is very much involved with uh but anyway right after the break when we come back we'll be with kevin smith and tavi costa of crescat capital so don't go away <music>
4: Lion One Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion 1 metals and high-grade gold in Fiji.
5: Labrador Gold is an exploration company focused on its flagship Kingsway project located in Central Newfoundland Gold District. Labrador Gold's first-phase drilling program has successfully identified high-grade gold mineralization, including a 3.6-meter intercept, grading 20.6 grams per ton gold and 1.85 meters, grading 50.38 gram per ton gold. The company has approximately $35 million in the treasury and is led by a world-class team of CEO Roger Moss and technical advisors Sean Ryan and Quentin Henney.
0: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to introduce Crescat Capital to you today and to help uh, you do that, help me do that. I've got Kevin Smith, who is the founder and chief investment officer, and Tavi Costa, who is the uh, portfolio manager and, I guess, the macro um, designer of the company's macro view of the of the world and the market. So uh, it's really good to have them with us. Now, I learned to know about Crescat Capital Primarily because of Quentin Henning's involvement with the company as a technical advisor. Um, because I've been just really a big fan of Quentin's for many years. Uh, I was drawn to the Cascat, to the, to the cat uh, Gets Active. It's called the Cat Gets Activist on Gold and Silver video series, which are absolutely excellent. And if you're interested in this sector, I think it's one you're going to want to pay attention to. Uh, it's on their YouTube. Uh, It's on their YouTube channel, the Crestcat's YouTube channel. As you know, uh, Quentin has a a sharp eye for talent and integrity, and he is quite selective in who he does business with. So it's not surprising that he chose to go to work with Crestcat, given its stellar performance over many years. For example, one of the funds managed by Crestcat is the Precious Metals Hedge Fund, which has gained 235% from its inception on August 1, 2020. Uh, to through July 31st, 2021. Now, that's pretty darn good considering the fact that we've had several months of, uh, of pretty wretched, well, not wretched, but certainly not very robust markets for the junior sector. So the company was um, co-founded by Kevin and his wife, Linda, and Kevin is the chief investment officer, uh, and he uh, is joined, as I say, with Tavi Costa here with us today, uh, who is the company's uh, involved with the macro uh, economic view of the, of the company. Um, certainly, both of them uh, work on that as well. Uh, if you're personally if you personally invest in the junior sector, I think this is really a company you want to pay attention to. At Crestcat, especially the Crestcat gets activists on gold and silver videos, uh, and so I, I really want to welcome Kevin and Tavi for joining me again today. Thanks both of you for joining me. Thank you, Jay.
6: Yes, yeah, thanks really- for having
2: us. You bet. And, and I should mention it's cresscat.net, I believe, is your website. Crestcat, C R E S C A T dot net. Um, Kevin, I just noted that, you know, that I just mentioned that 235% gain during the first year of the existence of the precious metals hedge fund, uh, despite some weakness in the market, as you're
7: painfully aware. How uh, have you managed to do so well? Right out of the gate. Well, thanks, Son. Um, that's. Um Really, uh, thanks to the the, um, the assistance of Quentin Henny, first and foremost. I mean, we, uh, uh, like you mentioned, we, it's basically been a, a, a flat to down market for gold and silver in that one year uh, performance that we've had since we launched the fund. But um, but we've been able to uh, to do so well because we've been focused, number one, on the exploration side of the uh, segment of the industry where we think there is a tremendous uh, amount of value first of all to, to get uh, to initiate positions but also a lot of value to be created as we get involved with many um, uh, companies that are um, you know involved in making new discovery of, of gold and silver and with with Quentin helping us uh, direct our funds in an activist sort of way so we can actually get money to these companies to put to uh, uh, to actually do drilling and and uh, and make discovery we um, have been able to um, generate those returns and 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 primarily it came from uh helping companies get money to make some 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 big new discoveries and and that that, those are companies like sk mining Mm -hmm. el oro resources and uh newfound gold um just three of of of, um of you know at least a dozen of our companies that had excellent drill results in in the last year and have been creating value in in the ground Mm Yeah, no doubt about
2: it, and, and in a lot of your presentations, you talk about the Lasan curve. It is during that, that discovery phase when really a, a lot of percentage gains are made, and then you go into the orphan period, and things slow down a little, and then you get into the time frame where you, you know, the successful companies then probably exceed their old highs, hopefully they do, uh, but you're primarily engaged in that, uh, this fund is primarily engaged in the exploration sector, which of course is... Quinton Henning's strength. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really a great model. I think uh, you're – and then you have somebody that's as good as he is to, to work with. And also, you say activist. It means you are um, you are actively involved, and I think a lot of the companies pay a great deal of attention to Quinton's ideas and his ability to interact with their technical people, with the company's technical people, with their geoscientists, uh, is really really what makes this work,
7: I think. Absolutely, Quentin. Quentin's expertise is, um, is is really key in all of this. He's been in the industry for for th- at least 30 years, and uh, and and knows a lot about uh, about discovery, and uh, and when the companies you know really uh, are eager to listen to him, and 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 we can. Um, Know, be involved in that in that way. Activism, activism to us means a bunch of different things. One of them is certainly Quentin's uh, active involvement with with the companies. Uh, you know, it's also his his involvement with helping to tell the story. Yes, and, uh, and it's our ability to to um, to put a significant chunk of capital into these companies too, whereby we can we can get um, a significant stake in what are you know small cap and micro cap stocks um, often where we can get. Between um, anywhere between five and up to twenty percent of the uh, of the shares of, of these of the outstanding shares of these companies on a on a partially diluted basis, including the warrants that we're able to uh, uh, to strike as as part of the uh, as part of the deals, and and we get involved in um, in PIPE deals, which are private placements in in public securities, mm-hmm. also some pre-IPO situations, um, but um, by investing in the. In the private placements and the public securities, we're able to to often come in at a discount to the public price, and get and get warrants as, as part of the, the transaction. and that, And those are just some of the extra kickers that we're able to um, uh, you know to have inside of this hedge fund strategy. Mm-hmm. Well, for
2: sure. And I should mention it just just briefly because I I think we want to focus primarily on the, on the gold and silver sectors and the exploration sectors, but. It should, uh, it should be pointed out that, you uh, Kevin, your firm has done very well over the years. You have a global macro hedge fund, and you have a long-short hedge fund. And especially, I think the long-short hedge fund shows a 491% gain over, well, since May 1st, 2000, if I'm reading this correctly. And, I mean, that's pretty good because, I, I mean, I don't know how many guys have tried to, you know, go short and have, you know, have lost their shirts I mean, it's just been a horrible thing to try to do, but I guess what what you do is you you move it around. I mean, it's not just sh- it's not just short. So how do you determine when you're when you're basically short, when you're basically long? I don't know
7: if this is a question for either of you.'ll well, I'll let I'll let Tavi chime in since I've been doing a lot of the talking. go go ahead, Tavi.
6: Well, I would say that the the most important part that we we try to focus on is looking for pair traits and ideas that are secular. Uh, moving in this case in today's environment where we believe we're entering a long-term inflationary uh, setup for the markets uh, and you look at the investment alternatives uh, universe of, of of pretty much any stock or corporate bond or treasuries uh, that actually yield less than inflation expectations when you are in that environment uh, you start thinking about the flows out of very crowded um you know, investments uh, uh, towards uh, something that has been out of favor, such as commodities. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we came up with uh, this idea of really implementing the commodities to equity ratio. You know, the, We don't know what's going to cause this ratio to rise if it's commodities that will outperform uh, significantly or it will be equity markets that will uh perhaps uh, reached a reckoning moment given the valuations where we are uh, when it comes to the business cycle and uh, or calculations of of issues and this mismatch of uh, fundamentals and the reality uh, of uh, of prices today. So um, I think that matching the two opportunities is is really um, something we've done in the past, and uh, we we enjoy um, having the two uh, asymmetric bets in both sides of the portfolio. Um, And then we add some other things such as uh, uh, we have uh, shorts in the Chinese currency, Uh, we have shorts in the the Hong Kong dollar um, as as parts of uh, uh, perhaps you call it an insurance play. Uh, We don't have to necessarily be right about those, but uh, if we are, those make up a whole performance for the year. So uh, it's almost like a basket of of very asymmetric uh, opportunities that we find in the markets and, and that is one way to be positioned.
2: And your uh, global macro hedge fund has also performed well. I see uh, 580% since January 1st, 2006. So I, I guess um, maybe, Kevin, you can tell people the, these are hedge funds and, and the entry level because they, they are, you know, relatively modest as hedge funds go uh, the, at different levels. Would you care to comment on that? The precious
7: metals hedge fund, the long short hedge fund, and the global macro hedge fund. Sure. We uh, the the global macro hedge fund um, has been our flagship fund for since we launched, it, really in, in two, thousand six. Um, uh, in the in the last year since we launched the precious metals fund, that one has actually grown to become even larger in just in just one year, which is is pretty crazy. But it mm-hmm. it's um it's testament to to the exciting things going on in in that sector and in that fund. Both of those two funds, the global macro and the precious metals, have a two two hundred fifty thousand dollar minimum. Mm-hmm. They are for accredited investors only. They are true sure. hedge funds in that sense, mm-hmm. and um, and then our long short fund, which has an even longer track record, that that was started kind of at the at the peak of the tech bubble in, in two thousand, and um, and that one has a, a one hundred thousand minimum, and that's focused just more on long short equity. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, speaking of of tech bubbles, uh, maybe Tavi, you can comment on that. Uh, I know that your letter that you sent out to your uh, to your um, shareholders or to your investors, uh, you did a comparison of the tech bubble in two thousand with the one we have now. Would you care to
6: comment on that? Sure. This comparison was actually made by Kevin, but I can certainly uh, uh, chime in and, and and tell you a little bit about what the research looked like. And the, the question really was. You know how much of the enterprise value of those businesses back in the tech bubble were relative to the GDP at the time? Um, And what we found is is that today we're much more extreme levels when we look at the top companies in the tech sector. Tech companies are very profitable, but are actually less profitable on a yield basis relative to inflation really is. we think that this this issue of of what security selection has looked like in the last uh, few years with uh, the focus on on top line improvements uh, will perhaps shift away as cost of capital begins to rise caused by inflationary forces picking up. And therefore we think that uh, the higher focus on profitability and cheaper stocks and fundamental analysis and value investing principles will actually take place again. And so why we think that uh, natural resource industries will become uh, a bigger part of, of the economy uh, as, as we move towards a new regime of in the markets. And mm-hmm. so that's that's uh, we are very concerned about the valuations in the tax sector, very concerned about valuations in the market as a whole. Um, and we think that there is a certainly a risk for the def- deflationary shock, believe it or not, uh, given the fact that uh, you know liquidity has so far been very large uh, mm-hmm. coming from central banks, but uh, uh, certainly we are uh, we are in a in a moment where the Federal Reserve is trapped, um, mm-hmm. and so what are they going to do? Uh, there is a a possibility of taking the 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 path of least least resistance, which would be the inflationary side, and so we have an inflationary Uh, uh, a portfolio focus uh, with uh, the exploration names in the portfolio and the commodity related companies uh, with some shorts paired with it as part of that risk and who knows the exogenous shock that could perhaps create a liquidity crash in in equity markets.
2: Yeah, who knows and and how do you prepare for it is a bigger question. Uh, How do you uh, in your portfolio selection, how do you prepare for that exogenous shock that might just you know take the floor out from underneath the markets
6: well I, I certainly have a view on what the exogenous shock could look like I, I think it's coming from China um, mm-hmm. You know, when we look at the credit imbalances in China historically we've never seen any economy to get to the level that we've seen China with over 50 trillion dollars in its banking assets uh, and so Clearly, we have a credit bubble that tends to uh, implode and, and perhaps could uh, potentially have issues in the global economy as well. As we know, um, you know we've had a, a CCP, the CCP has been cracking down on domestic companies. We've had some issues with ADRs, companies in the U.S., and the, the change in price levels of Chinese securities have certainly been linked to a lot of the macro data in the U.S., which suggests is that we may see a deceleration of growth in the next months or so, and perhaps even uh, a, a correction in equity markets in the US. And so we're very focused on that. It's one of the risks that I don't think the Federal Reserve has uh, its hands on um, and, and and that could potentially uh, become a much bigger problem. So there's a few buckets of, uh, of, of of shorts that we look at. We look at the very high multiple names, uh, the, the high flying names, and most, most of them are in the tech space, software space and so forth. Uh, but there's quite a lot of uh, other issues that we see with margins getting squeezed with our views about uh, wages and salaries growing. And so we're looking for uh, companies that don't have, don't have much of the buying power and selling power, I would say, uh, and could perhaps get squeezed into margins uh, issues uh, in the following months and, and, and years. And so uh, I think those two buckets are very important uh, right now and we, have, uh, we use our quant models to select those uh, uh, in order to, uh, to have a basket of, uh, of, of high potential shorts here.
2: Yeah, well, we just had Michael Oliver on our first segment today, and he's also getting a bit queasy about the high tech names, the big names, the guys that have been carrying the Nasdaq and the S and P primarily on their backs for some time. And he sees also some possibilities there of, of a decline in an equity market decline. Um, what about what about cryptocurrencies? Um, how, how do you? What are your thoughts on that? I haven't really taken the time to see if you've commented on it, but. Uh, Either of you want to want to talk about cryptocurrencies? Is there any place
7: in your in your world for that?
6: I'll let Kevin uh, comment on it. Yeah. I'll
7: give my comments first. the the um, You know, the crypto world for me has always been. Uh, you know, I, I've been a, a real skeptic because, uh, um, you know, I, I look at it as as you know, someone creating some software out of thin air and that's going to become money all of a sudden. I mean, we like, uh, you know, we like gold and silver because it it has thousands of years of history as a tangible asset as money that that central banks own that people own and, and trade with. Um, however, you know, there's you know, there's there's some credence. And what's interesting about the crypto world and especially the Bitcoiners is that they, you know, they've really adopted all, all of the same, you know, global macro narrative uh, of, of the gold bugs that, you know, they, mm-hmm. they call it Bitcoin. Their symbol is gold. and and. And it's you know in limited supply, even though it's just you know there's an unlimited number of competing cryptocurrencies, um, you know. So so I think in in general it's raising more awareness for the issues of, of fiat money and debt and and the inevitable uh, inflation and and devaluation of 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 the dollar and other fiat currencies that we're likely to to experience. And if and if the crypto, you know, crowd wants to adopt that that same narrative, that's okay. But I. I think it's also a big sign of the speculation that's out there in the market at large and all the money that is sloshing around that the, the Fed and, and the government has created uh, through the fiscal and monetary stimulus. And and so we really need to, to be careful here, especially at these insane valuations. Um, uh, you know, There's a lot of speculation in the markets, and, and I think there's a lot of risk in crypto. And if someone has made a lot of money in crypto, we, we have Investors that have made a lot of money crypto, uh-huh. and they've been peeling it off and putting some some with us. And I, I think, you know, that's uh, it's a good mix to have some some traditional precious metals in your portfolio too, if you're a crypto fan.
2: No doubt about it. Uh, with I think, in you commented also in your latest letter about uh, gold relative to commodities. Gold has been disappointing for those of us gold bugs uh, compared to the commodity sector overall. Uh, would either of you care to comment on, on that? Why why the weakness in gold when we have all this inflation, uh, rising inflation levels
7: that are taking everybody by surprise? And now that one is one of Tavi's charts, so he should definitely comment on that.
6: Yeah, well, well, I think the idea is, is yes, gold looks relatively cheap uh, when you look at um, compared to money, the monetary base, money supply, equities. Uh, but even more importantly, is it looks Uh, undervalued when you look at relative to uh, other places such as uh, commodities as a whole. And so that's, uh, for me, what it it shows is that we saw since 2018 in August, we saw an appreciation of gold all the way to August of 2020 uh, that went up uh, all the way to about 75%. Uh, And then since then, we've seen sort of a consolidation period. And I think that a lot of that move. Uh, was signaling uh, what we saw in, in regards to the fiscal and monetary disorder uh, when it comes to central banks coming to rescue of the equity markets. Uh, now, since then, we've seen uh, this idea of tapering uh, sort of becoming more popular. And I think that has uh, partially hurt uh, gold. And on top of the issues with cryptocurrencies, that have, I would say, still, uh, uh, you know, been uh, getting a lot of momentum in regards to capital flows. Um, but I think that at the end of the day, central banks buy gold. Uh, and so it's, if we see a beginning of issues in regards to uh, central banks needing to uh, improve the international reserves of those those countries, uh, which I think it's going to happen. It's going to become a trend where central banks will have to start buying gold uh, in order to improve the quality of those uh, those currencies that are backed by international reserves. Um, I think that that's going to be one of the things that creates a demand for uh, for precious metals. So we're still think that we are in a secular bull market for precious metals. We haven't seen a lot of the late cycle signs such as the m a cycle in, in, in the miners. Uh, We haven't seen uh, the CapEx growth uh, to levels that are unsustainable. We haven't seen the leverage ratios uh, move significantly higher for the miners. So everything looks fundamentally cheap in different parts of the industry. And I think that that's that's a big sign of of where we are today. And I think this is just a sell-off and an incredible opportunity to be looking for high-quality projects to put money to work.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, we've seen gold... At the bottom in this cycle, uh, just a bit around $1,100. It's gone up to $1,800 right about now. Uh, but it, it, I guess we haven't really seen anything like a blow-off phase that you would expect in the late part of a, of a bull market. And uh, so, yeah, you have to wonder. But it is. Uh, if, what about the gold shares then? Do you anticipate the gold shares should, I would think, because of the leverage factor, should outperform the bullion then at
7: some at some point here? I think when you look at where we are in the cycle for precious metals mining shares, and and especially when it comes to the junior mining stocks, which is the exploration sector, you know we, we've we've effectively been through a 10-year bear market that only wow. retested its lows in in March of of 2020 with the COVID lows. And here just in the past couple of months, we've had had another smackdown. We, we called it blood in the streets when it was March 2020, yeah. and that was a great buying opportunity. But we, we, we kind of have another one of those blood in the streets moment here in, in terms of what how the juniors have sold off on this idea that the, that inflation is transitory and that, you yeah. know, that the Fed's getting ready to taper anyway. and. And we think it is just still so early in, in a new market because the, the majors have underinvested in replacing their reserves. And they're going to have to go to the juniors if they want to increase their, their production, if, even if they want to maintain their production. And, and it's a very bullish setup for gold and silver in general. But for the junior miners, it's an incredible setup.
2: Yeah, those majors are going to look for big deposits. And we know who has this model of go big or go home, don't we? <laughs>
7: Indeed. <laughs> I think, I think somebody. no may, one other than Quentin Henney Quentin knows Henney. how
2: to find big, high-grade gold deposits. Well, he's not interested if they're not big, I think, for the most part. So <laughs> now with just big, uh, just about, uh, about a minute left or so, if either of you would want to comment on this transitory issue. I mean, it, it seems to me if we went into a bear market, I mean, if we went into the stock market decline, we might see some of that, or or, or Tavi, you were mentioning any number of, of things that could happen, exogenous factors that could, you know, pull the, the, the floor out from under us. But maybe real quickly, if you'd like to just comment, what are your thoughts? Is this a transitory, of course, and it's not going to go up every month, but is are we in a new stage like the 1970s of much higher I, inflation I
7: rate? have to I have to comment here because I, I really do believe, and I think Tavi shares this belief, that we are – that that we're entering a stagflationary environment, uh-huh. not not a deflationary environment. I mean, our bet is on inflation, but and but when you look at other stagflationary periods like the 70s and like that 73-74 bear market, we haven't seen one of those since 73-74. We kind of saw one in 01-02 when commodities started to take off and, and, and the tech bust happened, but but 73-74, I mean, that was the killer. Go listen to Warren Buffett and. Warren Buffett and, and Charlie Munger and, and hear them talk about about those, those days because it was brutal and that's a time when large cap growth stocks can get pummeled and and gold stocks and commodity stocks can take off to the upside at the same time and so that's that's the type of market that we are in position for and that we envision um, Tavi, do you have any quick comments on that.
6: I think you guys are about done, right, um, yeah, as I can see here. So I'll, I'll, I'll let my comments yeah. for another day. Very good.
7: Another day, yeah. Well, thank you, both of
2: you, for being with us today. It's really great to have you, great to introduce you to our listeners, and I hope we can have you back again sometime in the not-too-distant future. Um, so thanks very much for being with us. Thank, thank you, Jay. You. All right, folks, so that is it for today. Next week, uh, Dr. Quentin Henning will be back once again with us to talk about Laurel Resources, and Alistair McLeod will join us to talk about the surging inflation and the dollar's debt trap. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you.
1: Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
3: NV Gold Corporation, trading under NVX on the TSX and NVGLF on the OTCQB, is a gold exploration company focused on uncovering the next multi million ounce gold deposit in Nevada with an aggressive exploration season ahead in 2021, a tight share structure, strong management ownership, key strategic investors, a globally recognized technical team, report coverage from industry gold experts, and a strong treasury. Visit NV Gold Corporation corp.com to learn more on this exciting story.